0: You know, as you look at the building, I'm sure you probably say to yourself, well, I guess that's, uh, that's a church. Um, it says chapel on the outside, but uh, I guess it's, uh, it's a church, and it's very nice. It's maybe not as spectacular as some church buildings are, but um, it looks very nice, and it's very attractive out here on Prince of Wales. And so as you sort of think through this idea of it being a church, I'm sure you probably think to yourself, well, it's something religious must go on there as well. That must be something that happens as well. You know, if you thought those things, you're kind of on the right track. But I think probably we could maybe fine-tune those things a little bit tonight as well because um, I think the folks would like you to know about Read A Bible Chapel because they'd love you to come here and, and, and come and see what it's all about. So I'll tell you a little bit about what, what you might expect. First of all, um, I, I'm sure the people who attend here are very pleased and grateful for this building that they have here. And uh, often buildings like this get called churches, don't they? And that's all right. That's how we um, that's how we talk about these things. But I would say that if you talk to every single person who comes here to the Bible Chapel, they would tell you that this building is really not what matters at all. In fact, they would say what really matters here are the people who are inside here. And I think that they would say to you that, that they think of themselves as the church. And this building is just a really nice uh, facility and a, and, a, and a wonderful place for them to meet and to gather together. But the truth be told, if this place, unfortunately, was to you know burn down or suddenly not be available or something was happening, it actually wouldn't make any difference at all to the people who live here, of course it'd be a bit of, obviously it would make some difference, but what I, I guess what I'm trying to say is this, the building really is just secondary to the whole thing that happens here. It's the people who are in here and they see themselves as a community of people and I don't think that they would describe themselves as religious. I think instead of saying that they were religious, they would probably describe themselves as people who have a relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ. And so they've come here together as a community of people, as a group of people, and they all share that in common, that they have faith in Christ and a relationship with God. And so they come here on Sundays and on other days of the week to to get to know each other better, to be built up, to learn more about God, to encourage each other to try and reach out to their community and have a positive impact. And those are the things that are the unique things about Read of Bible Chapel. It's a community of people, and they've come together because they love God, they have a relationship with Him, they've put their faith in Jesus Christ. And I think I'm just going to talk a little bit more about this whole thing about having a relationship with God, because maybe you're here tonight and you say to yourself, well all so, sounds very interesting, but how would how a person have a relationship with God? Well, I, too, mentioned that I do a little building. I get other people to build. If I built, you wouldn't feel very safe going inside, I'm afraid. But um, uh, we sold a condo to a lady who came from Toronto, and she was very interesting, full of energy. Uh, I cannot imagine what she'd be like when she was younger. I'd say she was probably in her 70s now, and I... I don't know if the town was ready for her when she arrived. But anyways, she was walking down the street one day, and I met her, and I, I did not know her. And she came to me and said, <clears throat> yeah, it's good to see you, Sandy. And I said, oh, good to see you too, J. M. How are things going here? Oh, things are fine. I like living in Elora It's been a, a real nice thing to get away from Toronto and to move out into the country a little bit. She said, hey, I'd like to ask you something. I said, sure. She said, word on the street when you hear someone who's about 80 talk about word on the street, that always catches your attention. And so she says, and I thought, well, I I live in this town, a little town called Alora. I live in this town, and I'm not sure I know what the word on the street is. So anyways, I thought, well, I'm going to learn some word on the street here, so I better pay attention. She said, word on the street around town is that you're like a super-duper religious person. I... I for a second i honestly really didn't know what to say i never really had that perception of things and i said well no not really and that's where i started to talk to her a little bit about what i just said a little bit ago when we tend to look at a building like this we tend to think of religion or religious but that's not what happens here at b bible chapter this place is all about people who have a genuine real relationship with God and so that kind of gave me a chance to talk to her a little bit about how I came into a relationship with God and so I just thought I would share with that briefly with you tonight because there may be some people here thinking how can I have that relationship with God well I um, I guess typically you start these things with I was born at an early age but I uh, Clearly, I was born long after Tim. That's all you need to know tonight, <laughs> really. But, um, anyways, I was born in southern Ontario, a little town called uh, <coughs> Palmerston, Ontario. And my mother, uh, she was going to call me uh, Caleb, and then she thought she had a backup plan to call me Tom. And Caleb is a is a Hebrew name, and it means dog. <laughs> And like, you know, right off the bat, I think I knew that dad loved me more than Mum. But, um, and Tom is often something you associated with cats as well. So I'm not sure mom was on a, a bit of an animal thing. But I happened to be born on the, the birthday of my great-great-grandfather, who had immigrated from Scotland. <coughs> and um, his name was Alexander, but they called him Sandy. That's what uh, the Scottish people did. They shortened Alexander down to Sandy. And on the little uh, concession in, near where we live, there were all kinds of Scottish settlers there. And there were three Sandys. There was Little Sandy, and there was Curly Sandy, and there was Big Sandy. And Big Sandy was my grandfather. And so I was called Sandy, which it was a rough start in life because um, most people were quick to remind me that Sandy is a girl's name for startups. And then when I went to school, some of you... Would be old enough for this uh the reader we had in school uh sandy was the dog in the reader so i don't know if that was my mother in actually again. anyway so i was born into this family and um you know i had great parents very grateful for them lovely people uh they were christians and by that if you would have asked them what that meant they would have said what i said to you a few minutes ago that they had a genuine relationship with god that they had put their faith in Jesus Christ and they had a relationship with him. And, and, um, you know, it was not something that they just paid lip service to as well. As I grew up and watched them live their lives, I could see that seven days a week, this relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ was of number one importance in their life. So one of the things that obviously they did when, when, when I grew up We went to a place very much like UW Bible Chapel, it was called Bethel Chapel in Waterloo, and it was about maybe a half hour drive, 25 minute drive down there, and uh, my grandparents went there as well. So as I grew up, that's exactly where I was taken. So I went there and I, I, you know, I didn't win awards for very many things, but I got awards for attendance at Sunday School and things like that. Because uh, it didn't seem to matter what the weather was. We always were there and down at Bethel Chapel for Sundays and Wednesdays. And my dad had about a, this massive great Buick and uh, he just kind of aimed it down the road. And it didn't matter how deep the snow was, off we went and down we went. And So that was kind of all I knew as I grew up and we just went there all the time. And then, you know, I started getting out in the community a little bit, and I found that there were <clears throat> some other kids who lived there, and, and they um, they didn't do that on a Sunday. They could actually watch the hockey game past the first period on Saturday night, uh, because they didn't have to go to bed early to be there. Um, <clears throat> you know, they could sleep in a little bit, all of these type of things. They didn't have to learn memory verses and various things. And I began to think to myself, you know, that's kind of appealing, actually, <clears throat> And I thought, you know, I really, I really sometimes would like that I didn't have to go on Sundays. And when I think back on it now, I wonder sometimes how my dad would keep from burst out laughing at some of these sounds that he pulled. But anyways, I, I said to him one day, and, and I, I was feeling just fine, but I said to him, we're not feeling well. I don't wanna to go today. So he pulled out a thermometer and shoved it in my mouth and pulled it out, looked at it, and he said, it's perfectly fine get in the car and off you go, so. But we learned in our deception. So I thought to myself, I made a few errors that time, but I will improve uh, the next time around. So I waited for what I thought, enough time to go by that he would forget, probably a week or two. And I said to him again, I'm not feeling well. I don't think I want to go today. So out came the thermometer. I was ready for it though, and it went. He turned his back and I pulled it out. And held it over the toaster (laughs) (laughs) and uh, he turned around I shoved it back in he walked over he took a look at it and he said uh, well you're still going because uh, if you pass away in the car we'll take you to the hospital but nobody has a temperature of 114 (laughs) that was kind of my it sticks in my mind. It was my first little thing, sort of like, I'm just not so sure about this. And as I got older, my parents, I mean, we read the Bible every night after supper. We, um, as I say, we went off to, to, to Bethel Chapel and I went to Sunday school and various things. And <clears throat> But my parents would always talk to me about the need for me to make my own personal decision about putting my faith in the Lord Jesus. And they would say, you know, it's not enough that you're a part of our family and that we go off and do these things. You need to make that decision for yourself. And it was something that they tried to encourage me. They sent me off to camps in the summer. And, and you know, listen, I, I enjoyed my life immensely. But that was something that I could see was very important to them. And, um, but as I got older... Um, I felt like I was getting wiser, smarter, not wiser, but smarter. And when I hit my early teens, I, maybe you you can look it up on Wikipedia or something, but for a little while there, I was one of the smartest people in the world. I knew uh, kind of everything. And I also discovered it was quite an anomaly when you think about genetics, because I was surprised that such a smart person could come from parents who seemed to know so little. (laughs) <laughs> and I thought, you know what, Mom and Dad, with all these things that they're trying to tell me about putting my faith in the Lord Jesus, they um, they just don't understand all the fun things that are out there. They're trying to keep things from me that that I think I would enjoy. And by this time in my teens, I had lots of friends, and you know, they were experimenting with drinking and partying and uh, doing drugs. And, all those type of things, and I was kind of the youngest one of that, of that whole group, but I was, I was slowly getting drawn into all that, and I thought, you know, this is the life that I really want to live. So I began to get a little bit involved in that type of thing, and you know, um, when that happened, how I anticipated I was going to feel was not how I felt. I thought that it was going to make me feel that life was more exciting, that it was better. But a lot of times I was just left with a sore head and um, a real sense of disappointment, sadness. I looked at my parents and my family and I sort of thought, well, I'd like to be like this someday because I really kind of like this life to myself what's happening over here this this isn't making any sense for me at all and yet I just kept pressing on with it I had a lot of friends who uh, peer pressure is a very difficult thing and then one weekend uh, a friend came and said you know what my mom and dad are going away this weekend so we're gonna have a party at the house and so off I went to this and I remember sitting there on the steps, it was kind of a split-level house, and you, you, I was sitting on the steps. You could see the upstairs, the living area, and then you could see the basement as well. And as I looked around, the whole place was full of uh, cigarette smoke and marijuana smoke, and people drinking and music pounding and all kinds of stuff going on. And I thought to myself, I, I asked myself a question that I, until that time, I think I'd been afraid to ask myself. You may find it and think it's a very simple question, and and it is, I suppose. But it was a question I was too afraid to ask, and and this is what it was. I said to myself, is this all that there is to life? Is this all that there is to life? And I was about 16 years old at that point. And you know, when you're young, uh, usually people who are older tell you, you know, this is the best time of your life, and you, need to get out there and have loads of fun and that type of thing. And yet, at that moment, I think I felt if there wasn't an answer to that question, that um, I think I might have very been very tempted to take my own life that night. And I actually think there's a lot of young people today who maybe feel the same way. I've always been interested in young people, from the time I was a young people myself to the time that now I'm an old people. Um, I've always had an interest in those who are younger, and I don't know if I've ever had a time where I feel just kind of so genuinely sad about what I see young people going through today. And um, you know, I know every generation kind of talks that way and says, "Oh well, our generation was this and that, and the other one is something else," but. I really do think that the internet has been an absolutely disruptive force in a generation that makes it different maybe from every other generation before it. And the things that young people have to struggle with today, and it's not a surprise that, you know, the greatest killer of young people is themselves, that they take their own life. And I know, you know, all those years ago without the pressure that comes from social media and being exposed to uh, pornography and all of the things that are just constantly in our faces today with what is happening on the internet, with media and various things. I know even back then I just felt absolutely in despair. And I thought there has to be something more than this. There, you know, I just felt like there was this this enormous vacuum inside me that that I just was wondering how it was ever gonna be filled. And so uh, I was grateful that You know, suddenly I just thought back to all the things that I had been exposed to as I grew up. So I left, set my drink down, walked a couple blocks back to go home. My mom and dad were out with my sister and brother, and I remember going and kneeling down in an old rocking chair that we had there and and opening the Bible to John chapter 3 and eventually coming to verse 16. And kneeling there and recognizing that, um, you know, the sin and failure in my life. That that was actually at the heart and the root of all the ways that I was feeling. And that until I took those things to God, I was in jeopardy of a life that was going to be ruined. Certainly as far as the end of life came, I wasn't maybe thinking of it so much back then. But um, thinking about well, when I come to the end of life, when it comes time to step out of this life and to see God, I'm just not ready for that. I simply am not and so right there um, at that old rocking chair I just bowed my head and I said Lord I know that I'm a sinner and I know that my sins separate me from you and that, that, that as a holy God you need to judge me for these things but right here and right now I just want to accept the fact that the Lord Jesus died for my sins on Calvary Cross, so I—I I told you I had a brother. I just sort of vaguely uh, referred to him there. My brother. If, if anybody, if I, if I have any ability to defend myself today, it's probably because of my brother, because I learned a lot of martial arts skills uh, fighting with him as we grew up, and I still remember um, one of the last times my dad had. Uh, he worked at a feed mill and he had a, one day he brought home a thick piece of, of leather. He probably would be in jail today for doing this, but anyways, he brought this thing home. And he set it on top of the fridge and he said, this is, anytime someone steps on the line here, this is gonna be known as, as the board of education. And you will be educated as to how things will go. And uh, <clears throat> anyway, I remember a time, so this was up there, every now and again, would be taken down and you, you will would, you would get another uh, bachelor degree in something. And I recall one hot summer, dad bought a, a swimming pool for us. And I know what's being pictured in your mind as you think of that, but it's not that. Um, this was a pool you could blow up, so expectations diminished. But, uh, and he said, listen, wait till I come home to blow up that pool and to fill it up with water. But it was so hot, and I really wanted to fill it up. And so I blew it up and filled it up and we had a big Labrador retriever, which was also very excited about water and hot days and various things. And so as I turned my back, just getting ready to sort of hop in for the first time, I heard a hiss. That's not what you want to hear when your dad has told you not to blow up the swimming pool. And the dog had bit the pool and the water was now running out and it seemed like all my hopes and dreams for the future were running out kind of at the same time. And I remember coming, waiting, and it's, it's those type of things that um, you should save it for the last day of your life, because it feels like forever. So there I sat, forever, waiting for Dad to come home. And of course, there had to be a little application that night. But you know the thing that grieves me the, the most is when Dad attended to my re-education about doing something that he told me not to do. My brother never ever stepped forward and said, Dad, you know what? I love Sandy so much. Why don't you punish me instead of him? And I've had to go through a lot of therapy to sort of come to the other side of that. And one of the things the therapist pointed out is that I could not recall a single time in my life that I have ever done that on his behalf as well. In fact, both of us usually stood behind the door and rubbed our hands with glee as we knew that something was going to happen. And um, I hope that's kind of an amusing little story that might stick in your mind, but in a wonderful way, that's what Jesus did. All of those things that we deserve judgment for, Jesus came, and he lived a perfect life, and there was no reason for him to be ever punished or judged for anything that he had done. And so that made him able to take all of my failures and sins on him and all of yours as well and when he died on calvary's cross he paid for all those things and all he asks is that you put your faith in him and the moment that you do that and receive him as savior and exercise put your faith in him as i say suddenly he will bring you into a relationship with god and that kind of brings us full circle as to the type of people that come here to Read of View Bible Chapel. For the most part, I think the folks who gather here have all at one point in their life made that personal decision. And once they made that personal decision, they wanted to get together and to come together and to enjoy fellowship and to meet other people who have the same beliefs and to grow together. So that's what Read of You Bible Chapel is all about. And you know, I think you would find an absolutely warm welcome you would hear that message of what I have just talked to you about, about how you can have a relationship with God. You'd hear about that. I'm sure you find people who would encourage you and help you. And if you want to make that decision, I don't think there's a better time to make it than tonight, right here, right now. And um, maybe someone has brought you, and you're thinking to yourself, you know what, I really would like to have a relationship with God. i really like to know that That he loves me and that we have this relationship together and that when the end of the way comes, I will go and be with him. And, you know, maybe there's somebody here who is like me, kind of raised in a Christian home, gone here to read of you or wherever it was for a good part of your life. And uh, maybe to every indication there's faith that you're showing on the outside, but there actually isn't a reality on the inside. What a wonderful thing it would be tonight. For you to maybe go to your mom and dad and say, you know what, I need to get this settled. I want to put my faith in the Lord Jesus tonight. And I can tell you, um, I don't know what I thought was going to happen when I did that all those years ago. Um, I don't know if I thought a band was going to play or fireworks went off. Anyways, none of those things did happen. But I will tell you this, everything changed that day. And there were a number of things that happened that day that I didn't even know were happening, but God was doing it right then and there. And the reason I'm standing here tonight, all these years later, is because of that decision that I made all those years as a teenager. That's what God does. He changes the trajectory of your life. He makes it this experience that you, you As you face the challenges of life, you know that he's always there with you. He gives you a purpose in life. And I can tell you this, um, I, I often say it publicly, that although there's been many a time that I have failed him, I will testify to the fact tonight that not once in all the decades that followed that decision has he ever failed me once. you'd like to enter into that relationship, as I say, tonight would be a wonderful time. Um, I think, personally, you'd really enjoy of you Bible Chapel. If you are visiting tonight, do come back. Again, the speaker tomorrow might be a little shaky, but they'll have far better ones um, in the days ahead, I'm sure. Anyways, it's just such um, a real privilege for me to be invited here today, and uh, thank you for that. I look forward to seeing folks uh, tomorrow as well.